Another Eagles loss. The worst Penn State performance in years. More Ben Simmons antics. The Flyers head out west. And some highly questionable fandom signals. All that and more coming right now on episode 17 of Thoughts from the Shade. First, don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shamrock Sun. Go to shamrocksun.com and enter promo code SHADE in all caps when you're ready to pull the trigger on one of their big-ass bottles of sunscreen. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of Thoughts from the Shade. Um, lot to get to. Was really, really eager to to get on the pod here with Bob this week after everything that transpired on the gridiron this weekend. Um, so let, let's let's say hi to Bob. See how he's doing. What's up, Bob? This city's a joke. It's a dump. We have the worst teams. We have the worst owners. We have the worst fan base. We have the worst players. I. How do I disavow? How do I? How do I? How do I remove myself as a fan? Yeah, I think we were texting about it, and uh, you you had mentioned like, when does it become acceptable to be a bandwagon fan? Because you can't sit through what we're sitting through as a a week to week, sixteen or seventeen game Eagles fan right now. I don't even know that I'm asking to be a fan of another team. I just don't want to be a fan of these teams. Yeah, like, I think I think like, your your point was more so like, can I just watch these teams, these Philly teams, or or the teams that I root for when they're in the playoffs? Not like, can I be a bandwagon fan of? Yeah, just, yeah, like like the once once every ten years these teams make the playoffs. Like that's when I watch. Like, you know, I've made the joke for years, and like I've made it to you and a lot of my friends. Like, I just wish I was a guy. I wish I was one of these jabronis that would like hike a fucking mountain on a Sunday afternoon and take a picture with my girlfriend with my fucking stupid looking dog and like stand on the top of Appalachian Trail, you know, like in my Patagonia fucking wearables in these stupid looking shoes and just like breathing in the fresh air on a Sunday afternoon watching the landscape that is the United States. Instead, I'm subjected to the absolute, you know, dumpster fire that is the Philadelphia Eagles. We have a coach who couldn't coach freaking peewee football. we got a quarterback who's got a pea shooter for an arm. This team stinks. The defensive coordinator, how does it get worse than Jim Schwartz? We found the guy that's worse than Jim Schwartz. It's like, go, can you play sticks defense? Yeah, sure, we can do that. We can play prevent. We can play fucking, you know, defense. Fletcher Cox hates this guy. What are we doing, dude? I mean, we were we were kind of sold or, or at least kind of high on Ghana through two games and I'm thinking about those comments that we made, and and we're kind of looking like looking like asshats now. No, um, no, 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 no. I'm not. No, we made comments. This is this is why people come to this podcast. Okay, we made comments based on the fact that we couldn't see any of this any of this in preseason. All we're going on is what these Jo beat reporters say. Jonathan Gannon looks like the real deal, and all we said was, if he's the real deal. I hope that we keep the right guy because Sirianni looks like a bozo. Turns out they're both fucking bozos. All right, you cleared the air there, but I'm, I mean, I, I thought the defense was, was good in, in week one and week two, but obviously Atlanta sucks and San Francisco isn't very good. Uh, they didn't turn out to be very good. So, and then, yeah. And then from there, it's just been, uh, it's been prevent defense. I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like it, it really is. It's sticks defense. It's prevent defense. Like if you can run the ball 
and you can and you have a quarterback that can complete like a check down pass to a running back, you will move the ball at will on this Philadelphia Eagles team. Am I right? Oh, well, they played two high safety. You got Fletcher Cox, the, the tech you got the, you know, what, the second or third? I mean, I don't know where he's at now, but obviously Aaron Donald number one. Would you say Cox top five? And the technique that they're teaching this guy to play through this defense is that he's just going to eat double teams. I mean, you could hear what he said after the game. He said he's used to splitting double teams, getting up the field, sacking the quarterback, making plays in the backfield. He's eating double teams, what, to free up our fucking linebackers? What the fuck are we doing? The plan is the plan ain't right. And I think on the post game, it was Seth Joyner was pointing out how like the D linemen aren't even lining up with the right foot forward. I mean, it is a joke when that is the shit that is being called out about your coaches. Well, you know, the thing that's disgusting is when they threw Doug to the curb, um, you know, Super Bowl winning coach, a great motivator of men, they threw him to the curb like he was like, you know, used like, I'm not even going to make the analogy, but they threw this guy to the curb, okay? And, you know, they bring in these young, you know, whippersnapper coaches, and we were, oh, man, we were sold. They talk such a big game about fundamentals, about being technically sound, about being able to play situational football. This team does none of it. It's like these guys were told, like, hey, put together a presentation for work. And they had, like, two months, and it was like, yeah, we can talk a big game, but we actually can't do any of the things that we told you we were going to try to do. It's so bad. Yeah, spot on. I mean, and and then on, on offense and, and Sirianni, obviously the the wide receiver background, we don't get the balls to the wide receivers. Um, I mean, granted the offensive line is is a little banged up, but they're not doing shit. Hertz is running for his life. They're they're not running the ball. So I mean, it's it's bad all around. And then, like I'm watching the game on Sunday, and I'm just kind of like laughing to myself at at the um continuation of errors that happen like play after play so like the defense is is playing prevent and um who the hell did the eagles even play i can't even think of it right now um the raiders they go right down the field yeah they go right down the field and everybody's looking at each other nobody's you know sticking their nose in trying to make a play trying to be physical it's soft they go right down the field raiders kick the ball off to jalen rager the guy's just trying to run out of bounds and, and he still fumbles the ball like it's just a complete abomination. Everything that's being done uh, this season is is a complete joke, and I'm I'm to the point where I'm just fucking sitting there cackling because it's just comical. It it really is. Well, I mean, I I could I couldn't agree more. And then you just like you look at some of the like historic historic like historic numbers that this this Eagles team in a bad way is responsible for. So the the franchise was founded in 1933. Okay, and let's just read this. Last five games, they've allowed four quarterbacks to complete 80% or more of their passes. Derek Carr on Sunday was 31 of 34, 91%. All right, so last five games, they've allowed four QBs to complete 80%. Again, franchise founded in 1933. In the first 1,285 games, they allowed eight quarterbacks to complete 80% of the passes in the last five, they've allowed it four times. This is, this is, this is historically bad. This is so bad. Like, 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 like the things that people were saying about Doug, the things that people were saying about Jim Schwartz, 
who was a head coach in this league, who was a coordinator who grant granted didn't stop a nosebleed in the Super Bowl, but won a Super Bowl, a, a, a coordinator and a head coach who won a Super Bowl for this franchise. And they got clowned. They got clowned by the fan base. They got clowned by the GM. They got clowned by the ownership. And now we're watching these two bozos come in a fucking break. It's horrible. I'm almost to the point like, look, I, I don't I don't like Sirianni through through these first few games. And he says all the cliche shit and says it's all on him. Um, and there's obviously a clear disconnect between what they're trying to convey and and what's getting to the players, right? I mean, you talk about Fletcher Cox and you just look at the effort of this team on the field. They're not physical. They're not engaged. You know, they, they play uninspiring football. Um, I think they know that this guy's a fraud. I think they know that Gannon's a fraud. I think they know that all these guys under 40, um, you know, with the clean shave and baby face or Nick Sirianni and his, and his high top fade, um, they, they know they're frauds. And and they don't want to play for them. I mean, you look at Fletcher Cox. Look at Jason Kelsey. These guys have played for Doug, and I think they love Doug. Uh, they obviously got it done, got the Super Bowl win under Doug. Like they they know what a good coach is and what a Super Bowl winning coach is, and it's clear that they know that this guy is a fucking fraud. Yeah, and like. I mean, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. And when you hear players in post game on both sides of the ball, just talk about like, Oh, we're, we're running the plays that are called. All that means is our coach is a jackass. When you hear a player say, we're just running the plays that are called. That means that our coach has no fucking clue what he's doing. For sure. Um, another thing that I've, I've kind of thought about in a way, um, like I don't actually feel bad for Nick Sirianni. Um, he's a complete joke. He's a complete doofus. But like to be like devil's advocate or like to take another avenue on this, like can, can is it passable to to feel bad for the guy? I mean, it's not his fault that he got hired and that he's underqualified. That's completely the fault of of our dickhead owner and fraudulent GM. No, I mean I agree. The problem is is that is is that. Uh, Roseman and, and, and Lori aren't standing in front of the microphones every week. So I can blame them for the hire because everyone agrees this guy's not qualified. What I can't blame them for are the in-game decisions. So when you, when you have the other team trotting their punt team out there in fourth down and you elect to accept a penalty and they convert and at the end of the game, you know, you go to the post-game conference and they go, Nick, you know, you saw, you know, fourth down and, uh, you know, uh, fourth and four and, you know, you held him to stop and there was a penalty and, you know, why'd you accept it? And he said, because our chart said to go for it, if it was us, dude, the punt team was running on the field. What, the, the referee was stunned. So, like, yeah, I want to blame Howie. I want to blame Jeff for hiring this absolute moron. But at the end of the day, this guy's still a fucking moron. Yeah, no doubt. Um, didn't he? Didn't he double down and say like, "Oh, I, I would have, I would have accepted that yeah, call every time." Yeah, yeah. He, well, you know what? If you say that, you're an idiot. Okay. What he should have said was, you know, I made a mistake. Uh, I was, I, I made the decision based on what we would have done. But I need to recognize that every team doesn't play the situation the same as us. Come on, man. Well, you know he's not doing that much intel. 
about about the other teams because didn't something come out that he that Sirianni is is not involved in in breaking down like any defensive film whatsoever or like doing any scouting of the other team's offense at all I mean that's obvious I mean I mean I don't know what he's watching they had 10 days to prepare this was the mini buy if there was ever a game you're gonna sneak a win out of like on the road it was this game you just got pounded by the bucks at home literally it was the same game same fucking game the team runs out to a big lead and they just lay off the accelerator knowing that they got the dub and you know the Eagles score a couple garbage time touchdowns. Um, yeah, the guy the guy doesn't watch the guy doesn't self scout the defense. Um, I don't know what he watches. I don't know what he does. I mean, um, you're right. I mean that came out and like first of all, you have a young defensive corner. So like if you're if you're a head coach, your first time head coach, right? Right, Jay, your first time head coach, right? Yep, I got you. Are you? Are you hiring like your boy from Indy? Are you hiring like like a, a guy who's never been a DC? I don't think so. I mean, I mean I'm hired, I mean, look at what Doug did. He hired like a Jim, like a Jim Schwartz, a guy who like had a head coaching experience, like knows deep. Like, why aren't you hiring somebody who's like an expert? Yeah, I think if I'm a first time head coach, I'm probably probably hiring somebody at the coordinator spot with with a little more experience than me. Just to to lighten my load a little bit, and you know, can I throw a name out there? Sure. If Bomb, if Bomb is the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, okay, and I'm and I'm an offensive guy, right? Because you know I can scheme scheme guys open, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, I run the fucking football. I run the fucking football. Okay. The type of defensive coordinator I'm going after, Wade Phillips, that type of guy, like like that style, not not even defense, but like that pedigree of a coordinator a guy who like has been there has seen it all where literally you're like all right i don't have to worry about that side of the football Sirianni basically said i don't worry about that side of the football and oh by the way we got a freaking clown in charge yeah we got another rookie in charge on on that side that has no clue what the hell's going on either um no i'm with you but but you you mentioned that you know if, if there was a time to to steal a game this would be it you mentioned the baby buy what, what you didn't mention is you had the baby buy the extra days to prepare, and you're also preparing for a team that lost its fucking head coach the week before. So you would expect that that Vegas rallied around the interim right the first week after Gruden got canned or resigned or whatever the fuck happened, and and then they have the letdown. Like this was a prime letdown spot. Like they had the 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 feel good rally around the interim. They're not a good team. You had an extra three days, and and they don't have. Their, their normal coach, a normal coach, and you still so, so you still put nothing together. Let's talk about that for a second because I think you're hitting on something very important, right? So not only did they lose their head coach, they lost their offensive like like Gruden is an offensive guy. He's the guy that's drawing up the spider two Y bananas. He's the guy that's dialing up the play calls. He's the guy that's dialing up along with Carr the game plan, right? So, all right, you win You win that game last week, maybe on adrenaline. The team rallies around the fact that they lose their head coach. And then the Eagles have the, the mini-buy, right? And you think to yourself, all right, you have 10 days. You're playing against a team that has just lost their offensive, you know, brains, so to speak, right? Um, let's try to confuse them. Let's try to let's try to disguise some things. Let's try to throw some things they've never seen before. No, we play base defense with our fucking bum players. And Derek Carr completes ninety-two percent of passes. Are you fucking kidding? That's the game plan. These guys, these guys should be canned, man. 
I don't know if if they all make it to the end of the year. I think I think if if the defense keeps up its shenanigans, then then Gannon's got to see the door before before the end of the year. Oh, we're already talking about we're talking we're talking about before the end of the year. I I think so. It, it's that bad, dude. Like I I think Sirianni's safe, right? You, you have to give the guy a full a full year if you're uh, if you're Roseman, unless Jeffrey Lurie pulls another Chip Kelly situation where he he brings the hammer down, can Sirianni and can Howie Roseman. That's what really needs to happen. Um, but the the other thing that I thought was funny about this game is that they handed the ball to Miles Sanders what five or six times in the first drive, and the guy. The guy gets nicked up. It's like they 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 went into their garage, and for the first time uh, when the sun came out in spring, and pulled out the sports car that they haven't turned on since like September October, and the thing fucking sputters out. Like it it, it he he he's got no use. He's he hasn't been used. And and as soon as you go to him and start to feed him, he gets hurt. Like what did you expect? Yeah, we made the joke about him like needing oxygen after two carries last week. It's funny you mentioned that, right? So, so Sirianni says after the game that you know they kind of got away from the run due to the score and due to Sanders. Like the score wasn't out of out of hand until like you know really the beginning of the second. Like they they turned the ball over at the end of the first half and like it kind of got a little ugly. But like you could have ran the ball for the entire first half. They just chose not to. He he says these things like the minute the other team scores. It's like it's like oh we have to abandon like the run we just totally have to abandon it. The other thing I wanted to bring up that I that I heard, I don't know if it was on like the radio or or reading something somewhere, but I think people were disappointed that Jordan Howard isn't like the third back right now, like as if that's going to make a difference because they say that Boston Scott and Gainwell are like the same same type of back, like smaller guys, not really suited for in between the tackles. And and people are complaining. Oh, why isn't Jordan Howard in there? You know, to to be the the up the middle guy. Like Jordan Howard is shot. Like he's probably like two hundred forty pounds and runs like a five second forty at this point. Like he's complete, completely shot. And where do these people get off thinking that that would make any difference whatsoever? I mean, if you had OJ Simpson in his prime, they wouldn't hand the ball off to him. I mean. Like, and then you're mentioning Jordan Howard. Like, spare me that. Yeah. No, I just, I, th- I thought that was kind of ridiculous. But, yeah, Eagles fall to, to two and five. Um, what was it, 33? Can, can, we, can we go through the schedule quickly and just, like, talk about these next few games? Yeah, let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, because we're going to, we're going to, I mean, they're two and five. I, and I'll. I don't want to give Sirianni and his and his crew the benefit of the doubt, but I will say like this was a pretty hellacious like last place schedule to start the season. But obviously we have Detroit in Detroit coming up. Yeah, so Eagles are two and five. Um, they go to Detroit this week. Following week they host the L.A. Chargers. Uh, oh. Then then they go to Denver. They host New Orleans, and then back to back at. MetLife against the Giants and the Jets, and then Week 14 is the bye. I mean, there's like a minimum of four losses in there, maybe five. I, do they split MetLife? Like, do they? I don't think they sweep the Giants and the Jets. Oh hell no, no way! You think this team could string two two in a row together? They can't string one drive together. Do you think they win 
out of this, out of these three teams, can they win a series, a, a three-game series? Lions, Jets, Giants. Can they win uh, two out of three of those games? No. Right now, I say no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and I'm kind of to the point where I'm I'm rooting for Detroit to get their first first win this Sunday. Like I w- I want to see the house come down. Like that's that's where I'm at at this point. Right. I mean, you think about we talked about the Thursday night game against the Bucks and how like that's a brutal game to go to. Like, how could you even go down there? These like fans of Philly people and like all these crazy Eagles fans. Oh my god. They booked like multi thousand dollar trip to Las Vegas. Not only to, you know, lose all this money in the casino and completely destroy their bodies, but to watch that fucking slop that we saw on Sunday. So I was talking to my boy, the guy, the guy I got season tickets with, and we, we were we were eyeing up that trip, obviously, because we 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 had always talked for years, you know, pre-COVID when they were talking about the, the Raiders going to going to uh, to Vegas. We said, you know what, first Eagles game, we're going out there. So I think there was a lot of that. People just saying, all right, we're going to go. And I talked to him the other day, and I said, dude, thank God we didn't go. I think the airfare was, you know, obviously a couple hundred bucks, if not closer to a thousand. The fans of Philly thing was expensive. The tickets to the game were expensive, hotels, and uh, the exact quote he said was, "Whatever the whatever the cost of the uh, <laughs> of the actual trip would have been, you would have you we would have at at a minimum spent two thousand dollars more on Eagles money line out there." He's like, "Thank God we did not go. It would have been a five thousand dollar trip." Just brutal, but like, and I guess just to to round it out, thinking about that, like. At what point do people actually stop like putting up with this shit and buying buying the apparel, buying the tickets, go go into the game, singing the fucking fight song in the fourth quarter when they're down forty one to twenty and they get a meaningless touchdown? Like that's the only way that we ever get out of this this purgatory that we're in with this team. Like the Super Bowl, it happened. Um I, I don't know how. But, you know, any anybody that was of importance from the Super Bowl is now gone and we're stuck. But these people can continue to trot down there um, and sell the fucking place out. It, I, I don't understand it. You know what the problem is? And I, I couldn't agree more. You don't see that really much with the Phillies. Like people just don't show up like they stink. Don't show up. Um, the Eagles, everybody shows up and there's this weird like it's it's a Philadelphia thing, you know what I mean? I, I really get pissed off when I hear people talk like this. Like it's it's woven into the fabric of our family, or it's woven into the fabric of my DNA. I bleed green. Well, then guess what? You're a fucking loser. Read that in your fucking DNA, okay? I, I'm like so sick and tired of the fact that the people in this in this region refuse to hold these franchises, uh, refuse to hold them accountable because of the fact that they see it beyond what it is. These are businesses. They take our cash and kick our shins. That's what they do. That's what these teams do to us, okay? We are the customer. But the fans in Philadelphia see it as more than that. This is the thread that that holds us together with our family. And my dad's dad's dad was an Eagles season ticket holder at Franklin Field. And they sucked then and they fucking suck now. And I'll always get in there and hand my money over to Jeff Lurie because I'm a fucking idiot. It's woven in my DNA. That is the problem with this fucking city. 
Well said, brother. Do, do we have anything else to, to talk about on the Eagles? We'll, uh, no. we'll, we'll look forward to, to uh, Sunday. Eagles in Detroit, the winless Lions. Can they get one on the board? I would think that the Lions are going to come out and play an inspired football game after seeing what I mean, they, what they played inspired the other day, right? I mean, they had onside kicks, fake punts. I mean, they're going to the whole thing is on the and guess what? You don't think they're going to be excited about the fucking Eagles coming That's to what Tampa I'm saying, and licking dude. their chops, dude? Absolutely, they're, they're going to be fired up. They know they know that this is a shot to to get a dub, um, and they probably will. So, Eagles two and five play the Lions on Sunday. Um, Season's a fucking disaster, but I kind of enjoy talking about the Eagles more when they suck. I think it's more fun, honestly. Can we talk about King Howie? Yeah, what do you got on King Howie? I mean, what a great deal. I mean, he was able to get rid of Flacco for a conditional fifth. I guess. <laughs> I, I guess. Like, Let's see, we could draft another fucking undersized linebacker from Montana, Montana State. Cut me a fucking break. Yeah, and the other deal we didn't bring it up was the Ertz trade, but uh, you know, I don't know. We got on Ertz a lot through the years. I thought he was a good eagle, but I just thought it was funny how on Sunday the guy catches like a forty-five yard touchdown from Kyler Murray. He got more <laughs> yak. He got more yards after the actual fucking catch on that one play than he did in his entire Philadelphia Eagles career. Like his entire career. Just go. Just if you're an athlete, you should sign in Philly. Play one game, then go somewhere else, and you will fucking light the world on fire. They sent his uh, his gloves and and the football to the Hall of Fame to Canton, Ohio, because he was the first player in NFL history to uh, score uh, a touchdown in back to back weeks for two separate teams. Isn't that unbelievable? That's unbelievable. Of course, Philly would be the the former team or the first team in in, in that scenario. Oh, and never, never the receiving team. Not, you know, always the team that gives the guy away. And it was funny. Like, I haven't seen Ertz show that level of breakaway speed since the Visa commercials with Julie. <laughs> I can't help but, but laugh. Unmuted for that. That's that's too good. But, all right, let's, let's move on. You good? I mean, how much more do you want me to hammer this fucking team? I'll be back again next week. Yeah, we'll be we'll be back <laughs> we'll be back next week to keep it going. Um, but but we got another team to hammer on. Uh, <laughs> let's let, let's go to college. Um, <laughs> Penn State. I, I've I've said a lot about this team this year. I've said a lot about the Iowa Hawkeyes this year. Uh, I feel like I owe a formal apology to Iowa. I still think that they stink, um, but Penn State stinks a lot more, and. I didn't get to see see much of the game Saturday. Um, did you watch much, Bomb? I mean, tell me kind of what what you saw from from what you from what you watched, and then we can kind of get into everything that is fucking wrong with that program. Well, I mean, you saw an Illinois team that pounded the ball. I mean, 300 yards on the ground. They had a guy who went for 200. They had another guy who went for 100. You saw a Penn State team that was held under 100 yards in the second half. Um, the only reason the game was close, honestly, is because Illinois turned the ball over three times. So the Penn State defense, in spite of the fact that they uh, they got gashed on the ground for most of the game, they um, they they turned them over and uh, and kept it close. But man, what a pathetic offensive performance! Um, 
the minute it went to overtime, you, you just had that you had that weird feeling where you knew that 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 the the lesser team. Well, I guess I guess I guess I should say the the lesser team on paper um, was going to come out with with the win. And in fact, I, I do recall texting you in the midst of the first overtime that James Franklin should be fired mid first overtime, like fire him now if you want to save this season. Um, I would have canned him in the middle of that overtime. Um, there was a fourth down play that they needed to convert. And he did exactly what he does in every fucking season defining season ending loss. And this time it finally converted. But we all recall the Chase McSorley, you know, it's let's run a draw right at Chase Young. Doesn't work. <clears throat> you know, fourth in the season here in the overtime, they got it. They got to kick a field goal or score or whatever it was. And he's running that bullshit fucking wildcat with the third string tight end. Like literally like the, we talked about a few weeks ago. And he was running that on fourth in the season. And it was that moment I realized, conversion or not, this team is fucked right from the jump. The, the head coach all the way down. They don't have anyone who can play quarterback. I mean, if Clifford's your best option, that's pathetic. I get the guy's injured. But, like, he's not good when he's healthy. He looked fucking terrible the other day. And you can't beat Illinois. I mean, fat Brett Bielema was like a pig in shit on fucking Saturday. This guy was like so fired up. He was so pumped. It was like watching Wisconsin back in the day, the amount of pounding they did, just running it right up the middle, just running right over guys. And you got your boy Brisker, you know, the All American drops the game ending interception. And he, like, no remorse. These guys, these guys have no guts. I mean, but then again, I don't know why I'm pissed. It's not my alma mater. No, that's a good that's a good summary and and some some tidbits in there that I guess I didn't fully fully realize not not being able to watch watch the game but I think the uh the one thing that that you pointed out about the the fourth in the season to go like that that is like one of the most problematic things with the James Franklin era is that when it's like third and grab your nuts like two or one or or fourth in the season like as as a so-called perennial program or a program that desires to be elite, how can you not stick your hand in the ground, hand it off to one of your blue chip running backs, and get the fucking first down? It, it's unbelievable. The the draw to Miles Sanders against Ohio State, um, bringing in the Wildcat uh, with with this Warren guy. Um, even when they had Saquon Barkley, like it wasn't a strength. Like, Remember the Ohio State game? Remember the Ohio State game where they're up the entire game? They, they gave up a big comeback at home. Remember they got down to the goal. They got down in the goal line, goal to go situation. They're getting ready to go up by like I think three scores. Who did they bring? Was it Levis? They brought in as like a fucking bullshit wildcat play. It's like what are we doing here? Yeah, it's just it's just a. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't Levis. It was um, the other the other bozo number Tommy two. Stevens. Tommy Stevens, yeah. But it, it just goes to show you, like, it's just such a, like, a, a Pop Warner, like, Pop Gun, like, Bubble Gum bullshit, like, program that is being run there. Like, I, I don't know what else there is to say. Like, the offensive line stinks. It will always stink under Franklin, no matter how many of these recruits that they get, no, how, no matter how many offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches they go through. This team will never have a good offensive line, and they'll never have a good run game under this guy. Um, and, and that's that. I, I don't know why. I don't know how. Um, but all this, all this stuff going through the air about Franklin and LSU and USC, I would, I would be so thankful 
if either if either of these teams or, or any team for that matter took a flyer on this guy and, and got him out of state college. Let me ask you something theoretical. Orgeron's finishing the year at LSU. Would you trade James Franklin for Ed Orgeron? Straight up, right now. Absolutely. I mean, like one guy's won a natty, right? One guy's won a natty. One guy, like, actually has balls. The other guy is just like an empty suit and carries around pom-poms and is the biggest hype man. Like, I was texting with, with some friends, like, you know, Penn State guys, a- after the game and after the dust settled. And we were talking about, like, what makes what makes, like, a great college coach? Like, what is the ratio of X's and O's, player development and recruiting um, that makes a great college football coach? And I just, I didn't really answer the question, but I just thought about James Franklin. James Franklin is a great recruiter. There's no denying that. He's he's gotten some of the top classes. Um, unfortunately, this one that he's got right now is about to fall apart in front of his face because his team stinks. But... Um, he's a great recruiter, uh, player development. Now he has sent a decent number of guys to the league, um, in his tenure, but they're better in the league than they are in college. (laughs) Exactly. And, (laughs) and there's, there's, there's been plenty of, of blue chips that have come to Penn state and, and haven't had an impact at all. Um, just off the top of my head, I can think of Justin shorter. He was, he was a wide receiver top of the class. He, uh, he ended up going to Florida. Ricky Slade was another guy running back. He he was never anything. Um, how about the so, kid? How about the kid that the Ravens just just drafted? I mean, I'm watching like his first game. The guy like literally didn't even have a sack last year for Penn State, and he's like lighting it up for the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, he's a beast, man. But like, and then obviously we all know X's and O's in in game adjustments. Uh, actually, coaching football, this guy is a fraud. So the analogy that I made was that um, I can go to the grocery store and I can buy and gather all the ingredients to to make um, a meal that a five-star restaurant could make. But when I go back to my house, I can't put it together, cook it, execute it, put it on a plate and serve it to you with that five-star quality. Does that make me a good chef? Does that make me a good cook? The answer is no. And th- I feel like that analogy just hits home for, for CJF. This guy can recruit. He can gather it all. He can gather all the talent. He can gather all the 107K strong faithful in the best environment in college football. But he can't He can't put the product together. He can't get it done on the field. He's lost plenty of big games. And he's lost plenty of these dog shit games. And it's enough. I've had enough. I hope it's the beginning of the end, and I'm to the point with this guy that I am with uh, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. I want everything to blow up, and I want him out. Until he is gone, this nothing. This this team's reached the peak. I mean, we ha- we had the best quarterback in program history, the best running back in program history, probably the best running back in college football since Reggie Bush. And what did we get out of it? We won the Big Ten Championship and missed the fucking playoff. So that that's the peak with this guy. And and that's it. I mean, and I just think back to this week, like this game. Again, I didn't see a ton of it. But you had two weeks to prepare a game plan to beat 2-5 and five Illinois. 
And that no, didn't no, 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 no. He had one week. No, they had a bye after Iowa. No, no, no. Well, he had one week to prepare for Illinois. The week following Iowa, all he did was complain about Iowa's coaches and fans. You got to remember that was a full week. That was that's what he spent that week on, and then it wasn't until the following week that he started the preparation for Illinois. So they didn't have a bye. I mean, this is one week. It's a tough turnaround after a week of totally bitching about a team that beat the fucking balls off you with your backup quarterback. You know, I get that. I mean, you know, they don't want one quick turnaround here. That's fair. But again, the, the two week two weeks time that doesn't even account uh, for the caveat that Illinois quarterback only threw for thirty eight yards. So, they had the back, the backup came in and executed the two point conversion. They had the computers, the kid who played at Michigan and sucked there. He was like a backup there. I guess he's at Illinois now, and he comes in and throws the strike to end it. I mean, that was some of the worst football I've ever seen in my life in that overtime. Now think about this, Illinois. Illinois, two and five. Illinois, one of the, one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. Their starting quarterback goes down, breaks his arm, breaks his wrist. I think he's out for the for the year. They said he's going to miss spring. He goes out against the number seven team in the country in in what the seventh overtime on the road, and their backup comes in and wins the fucking game. We we had a seventeen to three lead at Iowa with. Our apparent one of one of the best defenses in the country. We had a fourteen point lead. Our backup got us three points the rest of the game. And we're Penn State. We're we're we want to be elite. We want to be great. We want to get better. We want to be one and zero. I mean, come on. But the whole Clifford situation, him being banged up, like I didn't even want him to play in this game. And I didn't see a lot of the game, but it sounds like he he didn't look good and he looked like pretty limited. He didn't really run the ball. He didn't run. You had two weeks to get Roberson, a a guy that's healthy. Now, can he play? Probably not, because if he could, you would have given him a shot um, and and saved Clifford for for emergencies, which, I mean, apparently all Saturday was an emergency. But. As James Franklin and Mike Yersich, you have two weeks to prepare for two and five Illinois, and you can't get a healthy backup ready and put together just a basic game plan to put up. What did they need? Uh, it was 13 13 at the end of the fourth, I believe. So you couldn't put up 14. You needed two touchdowns. You needed two touchdowns against two and five Illinois, and, and you couldn't game plan that in, in two weeks. That's, it's, it's a fucking disgrace. It's a disgrace. Well, it begs the question. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of at the quarterback position at least. You talked about him being able to go out, like you you talk about him being a good recruiter, able to go out and buy the groceries. I don't think he knows the right fucking groceries to buy for a recipe that consists of a fucking quality quarterback. Because you look at Ohio State and their their Stroud goes out right earlier in the year. They're bringing in McCord. They're bringing in Miller. These guys are lighting fucking teams up. And McCord's in your backyard. I mean, how do you not go into that kid's living room and say, "Listen, pal." We have we have Clifford the Big Red Dog here from fucking Timbuktu, Ohio, who stinks, who stunk last year. Um, come to Penn State. Guess what? Because you're going to be the day one guy. You're going to be. We're going to give you every opportunity to start day one. We saw what you did in high school. Three three state championships, six A, at the best program in the nation. 
Why are you going to Ohio State? Come to Penn State. You're going to play all four years. We're going to send you to the league. We're going to surround you with five-star guys on the perimeter. We're going to get you in a line, and we need you to come come recruit. Bring Marvin Harrison Jr. We want you at Penn State. These guys are at Ohio State. They're not even playing, okay? You got a backup in Roberson who you don't even have the confidence in to put on the field. Meanwhile, the top quarterback in Pennsylvania is going to Ohio State. What the fuck is Franklin doing? To sit, to sit too. No, it's a to sit. They'd rather sit. They'd rather sit and watch another guy and learn from Ryan Day than play and and learn from James Franklin. (laughs) Yeah, that I think that says all all that you need to know. Um, So yeah, maybe maybe he's not as great of a recruiter as we all think because he talks about dominating the state. Well, he doesn't dominate the state. Like, there's been a number of of top players in PA over the last last years that that haven't come to Penn State so he's not dominating the state and the other issue I have with Franklin I I just cannot believe that this guy um, has the audacity on Sunday night to go on that Twitter account and fire off the 1-0 1-0 1-0 1-0 tweet for the 1-0 mentality because I think it's three of the last four years or four of the last five years when this team hasn't gone one and zero, they've followed it up with another loss the next week. So this one and zero mentality that that he is so um, loyal to is the fakest shit I've ever seen. Because every time this team loses one game, they fold. They fold, and they're done. So whatever he's saying or doing or conveying behind the scenes, that it's not. Uh, it does not align with his 1 and 0 mentality because his teams can never put the loss behind them whether they lose to Ohio State or whether they lose to uh unranked Pitt or fucking 2 and 5 Illinois like he's he's just a used car salesman with all all these gimmicks all these sayings and he's a fraud He's a fraud that's it he he's a, he's a fraud Can you imagine imagine Alabama losing a game and Nick Saban pumping one on on his Twitter account. Here's what Nick Saban's worried about. He's, he's a practice and he's, and he's five deep at every position and he's deciding whether or not the guy who's number two needs to move up to number one. The guy who's number three needs to move up to number two. Every day you need to earn your spot on the field for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And guess what? He's not thinking about being one on next week. He's thinking about who played the best at practice today. And how are they going to look tomorrow? And how are they trending? And do these guys need to be on the field? Franklin, he's like thinking about a win next week. Like, come on, man. You're, 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 we're, we're how many days away? You got to prepare this team, brother. He's more worried about get getting the tin man, the fragile, uh, barely can move Sean Clifford ready uh, instead of a fully healthy backup that's been with the program for like three or four years. You can't even get that kid ready to play fucking Illinois. I mean... So who do they have? The question is, who do they have next? And the other question is, does this team finish with fewer than four losses? Because I, I just don't see how they do. Well, um, I will say I had them at eight and four before the season. I mean, the losses don't exactly align, but that's where I had them. Um, I will also say that I'm a sucker and I was hype when this team started, what, five and oh, and I was convinced that they would have beat Iowa if Clifford didn't get hurt. You know what? The more I think about it, and and somebody said this to me too, 
maybe they don't win that game even if Clifford doesn't get hurt. Like maybe they they just they just fold. I mean, yeah, they fold. It's a James it, Franklin yeah. loss followed I mean, by another James Franklin loss. I mean, can, can this team really play four complete competent quarters? It certainly doesn't look like it. So maybe they would have so folded thing, anyway. The thing that's sad. The thing that's sad is McSorley and Barkley basically gave this guy like a decade of job security, provided he can win eight or nine games every year. And like that, like you think about some of those games that they played, like the walk-off game against Iowa at Iowa night game. McSorley throws the touchdown to Juwan Johnson. Like that's just. Nick Sorley being a baller and a winner and like that that kid just won all the way back to high school literally was just just a guy who goes out there and makes plays and like wills his team to victory that there's like like that's got nothing to do with the coach like so in theory there's like two or three years where you had those guys and like to your point you win the big 10 but you didn't win anything else like that was all on them like that was not like the coach putting them in great positions to succeed 100%. And that's that's a three-star Trace McSorley that got recruited as an athlete. And I don't know what Saquon ended up being as a recruit, but, like, obviously wasn't uh, – his stock wasn't as high coming out of high school as it was coming out of college. Um, so just guys, like, totally overperforming and, and putting the team on their back, like you said. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see see how it goes down the rest of the year. I mean, they got Ohio State Saturday night at, at the Horseshoe. Oh, this was the other thing. James Franklin, press conference Tuesday, was talking about how he's looking forward to playing Illinois at the big house. Like, this this guy's mental is so fucking off right now. Like, he is so shook. He's rattled between the, the losses, the rumors. Uh, of the coaching speculation and the, the the job openings, this guy was talking about Ohio State, but said Illinois, and then he was talking about going to play Ohio State this weekend at the Big House. Newsflash, James, it's the horseshoe. So Penn State goes to the shoe Saturday at seven thirty. James Franklin might not know where the fuck he is Saturday at seven thirty. Um, he certainly won't by halftime because. This is going to be a complete bloodbath. Um, I, I don't know how this team shows up with any competency on Saturday night. I think the line's 18 and a half. Uh, I, I, I would call a bank. Um, I, you know, I'd take out a mortgage. Um, call <laughs> Mortal your, lock. Yeah, call your relatives, um, people you haven't talked to. Put a G years. on G's pick. <laughs> Gather every penny um, that you can find and put it on the Buckeyes because – they're, they're going to lay a, a, a soup, super beat down on the Nets on Saturday max night. Max bet. You're saying max bet. Yeah, don't even think about it. I mean. So are you, are you going to watch? Are you even going to watch Saturday? Uh, I might. I might I might take a look. I mean, I don't have plans for the weekend yet. So, so before, uh, before we talk about next Saturday, can we talk about last Saturday and why you weren't able to watch the, you know, the Illinois game? The Penn yeah, State so, Illinois game. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one one of my best one of my best friends growing up, um, and and obviously still to this day, uh, you know, married his girl on Saturday out out, out near Pittsburgh. Um, it was a great time, great wedding. Uh, two Penn State alums. So I'm giving a, I'm giving him a pass for for having the wedding on game day because it was Illinois and the wedding was not till three o'clock and it was a noon game, so not a big deal and. In the grand scheme of things, what the hell did we miss? We missed the worst fucking game in like 
15 or 20 years for Penn State. <laughs> so I, I would like to say he thought, th- he thought it was a bye week. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to say thank you to the bride and groom for for allowing me to not have to watch every second of that. Um, but no, we we got through the ceremony at the church, and then uh, one one of my other buddies that I was in the wedding with, he he had the game up on the phone, and, and it was when the overtime started, so we're watching all these freaking overtimes, uh, you know, in front of the altar, waiting to to do our turn on the pictures, and just a complete debacle, obviously, and. People are looking at us. We're yelling at the phone in the church and fun times. Um, and we get the party bus. We watch the end of the game. They lose. You know, we were drinking. It was all good. It was it was a happy day, right? Um, but then we get to the reception. It was a happy day, but deep down you're hurting. I mean, am I, am I though? I mean. Deep, deep down it hurts. Winning that game just delays the inevitable. I mean, I know I said they had it all in front of them. I know I said I was stinks. I know, I know what I said. I know how I felt, um, but I mean, they, there's no way I was convinced myself that they were going to beat Ohio State th- this weekend and and run the table with Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State still ahead. Like, yeah, but if they won last week, it would have been everything in front of them. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, technically, it would have been. <laughs> T- technically, that that would have been true. Um, but anyway, we 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 get to the reception. You know, nice cocktail hour couple pictures and do the intros it was all all good fun now uh <laughs> you know we, we do the first dance and then you know a couple couple songs into the to the party we get uh we get zombie nation going and it's it's zombie nation it's like that party song oh <laughs> <laughs> So, we are Penn State. Yep, yep. So, so they get they get that going, and again, it's it's two alums, and obviously a lot a lot of friends and family there were alums. They they did a big alum picture, and uh, I, I did stand in for that. I wasn't going to shy away from that one, but wait, you know, whoa, whoa, you stood in for what? They took they asked all the alumni to to come in for a picture. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me? No, no, but I think that that was after Zombie Nation. Um, the zombie nation comes on and, and we just lost to Illinois and, and I get it Two alums celebrating their day, pr- proud alums. And, uh, but, but they play this song and, and people start flooding to the dance floor to, to sing along and jump around and we are Penn state. And, and me and my, 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 oh my one, buddy, um, you know, we're, we're both big, big fans and alums, but we're standing there looking at each other like. Should we go over to the DJ and tell him to turn this shit off? Like, we just lost to fucking Illinois. There's no reason to celebrate being a Penn Stater right now. Like, I, it, it it was just disgusting. Like, I think I sent a video to you even of of the song and then me standing there like, this, this is a disgrace. Um, like, it, it, I don't know. It It, it was bad. Well, did they finish off the night with a little little ice cream? Maybe maybe a little dessert? Maybe, I don't know, maybe that Illinois orange peachy paterno? <laughs> I actually saw my piece of cake, like, at my seat, but uh, I was too busy cutting the rug. And, and by the time the night ended and I, and I went back to get my jacket off my chair, my, my piece of cake was gone. So I didn't, I don't know what, what, what actually was for dessert. Oh my God, that, that I agree with you. I mean, I don't, I don't want to hammer the, 
you know, the bride and groom, too bad, great people, sounds like a great time. Unfortunate circumstance, losing to Illinois. Um, but I don't think you can play Zombie Nation after an L. No, and I, I said it to you also, like, I don't I don't think I personally would have would have any any Penn State music at, at a wedding of my own. Um, granted, granted, I am an alumni and for some reason root, root for this goddamn team. But if I knew it was on the playlist that day and I was the groom and again, I'm not I'm not shitting on my friend. It, this is being, being the asshole that I am. But if I knew that was on the playlist and, and that whole. uh you know, routine was in the cards for the reception. I would have gone to the DJ. I would have said, look, man, you can't play this today. We're not doing this today. Shut it down. Yeah, you got to change. Maybe you change the song to another Penn State song. Hakuna Matata. What's a wonderful day. Or whatever bullshit fucking Lion King fucking nonsense they play up there. That stupid freaking Colt 107 strong with a fucking cue ball bald idiot head coach who fucking couldn't coach his way out of a wet paper bag that french that that fan base should be ashamed of themselves it's another fan base that has to stop showing up until until the necessary changes are made like i think at this point i i would rather be like a uh, like a locked in like seven and five or eight and four every year but like have that one big upset like once every four or five years and just be like a respectable team. Like, don't be a doormat that gets blown the hell out by everybody. Like, beat beat the middle of the road teams, beat the beat the bad teams. But like, don't be like pumped into the top five or the top ten in like October and then shit down your leg. And and and, and they re- do it every other year. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so like, let's just let's just be like a middle of the road team that can actually run the football. Um, that that plays fundamentally sound that makes smart coaching decisions and not be not be this overhyped um you know organization that's that's led by a cheerleader that can't coach i'm i'm tired of it i mean the thing that's sad is you you hammer crush notre dame crush them that franchise is head and shoulders like that 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 program's head and shoulders above penn state like not even close. Like at least they get to the, to the fucking playoff and get blown out by Bama. I mean, everybody gets blown out by Bama. Yeah, but who do they play every year? Like they get they they play like USC every year, who hasn't been ranked in like five years. They, they don't play a conference. They get like they get like two ranked teams. I mean, they every put, year. they they won the ACC last year. I mean, they beat Clemson. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I mean when's the last time like Penn State beat a Clemson? I guess when they beat Ohio State on the, the block field goal. Like I think Ohio State was two then. But yeah, no, it doesn't matter. I mean, I do hammer Notre Dame, but they're better than us. I mean Christ fucking the Pitt Panthers are better than us right now. They're in the top twenty or top fifteen. They're somewhere in that vicinity and, and Penn State fell to twenty, so we're not even the best team in the state right now. What did I tell you about those Pitt Panthers, man? What did I tell you? What was it, over seven and a half? Over seven. Over seven. I talked about super senior Kenny Pickett. This guy's a fucking Heisman Trophy candidate. Bomb. That's that's huge out of you. I mean, that's it's a great pick, and it's it's playing out well. I'm proud of you. Maybe they go to the playoff. 
I was uh, I was clicking through that that simulator. They have like a simulator on ESPN.com for the on the college football pa- page of who will make the the college football playoff, and you can pick a team. Like they have the top fifteen teams, and uh, I think if Pitt wins out, they and they win the ACC championship, they have like so, like a pretty good chance of making the playoff. Like I want to say like around seventy or eighty percent. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how that factors in, like, what else is happening in college football with the other teams that have a chance. Um, but they're looking good. I mean, they have a totally disqualifying loss against, like, a non-Power 5 team, right? Didn't they lose, like, Michi- Western Michigan or some bullshit team? I think so. Yeah. But, but yeah. you know, the ticket, the ticket's cashed pretty much. Just need one more dub. Yeah, that's great. Now that's that's an that's an awesome play by you. It's always good to see see a future workout. So so nice work there. But I don't have anything else on the nets. Like I'm just glad that I could come on here this week and and get that off my chest. Can we talk about coaches for a second? I gave you the Orgeron scenario. Um, sure. Oh, also about Orgeron real fast. I think I heard that that athletic article that. Uh, we we had tapped into last week. It's all BS, right? Yeah, it was all BS. Apparently, the lady at the gas station wasn't pregnant that he worked asked to work out. Um, so sounds a little fishy there. Whatever happened there? Um, but just wanted to point that out. Yeah, good good call. So we we mentioned Orgeron. You would trade. You would you would you would literally trade your current head coach for a guy who's like canned. Like that like that's an interesting. Interesting uh, state of affairs for for Happy Valley. <clears throat> Who I mean, is we, your? I, I mean, I mean, we would trade we would trade Sirianni for Doug Peterson right now. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, not, it's not no, exactly obviously. the same, but it's a guy that's canned too. Yeah, yeah, sure. But who would be? I mean, if you had to like put together a list of of head coaches you'd want, you know, do you have like three to five names you'd 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 be thrilled with over over CJF? I would have Doug P on the list. I'd I'd give him a call if I'm uh, if I'm Sandy Barber. I mean, why not? He's I don't know if he's still local, but coach coach in the state. Um, who knows what he's up to? If he if he wants to get back into it, maybe at a lower level. Why why not give him a call? He's got a Super Bowl ring. I think he goes into a, into a kid's living room like McCord or, or Marvin Harrison Jr. and and shows that that Eagle Super Bowl ring. That that talks a little more than than a fucking guy with a shiny bald head that hasn't won shit. So, uh, I mean, why not, Doug? I think about um, Matt Campbell. I, I, I like Matt Campbell, and, and Iowa State had the big win over Oklahoma State this week. They they seem like they're finding their footing a little bit. Might be a problem for Oklahoma in the in the uh, the Big Twelve. So I think about him. I think about Fickle at Cincinnati, the success that he's had, and he's obviously had experience at, at a bigger program like Ohio State. Um, and then another guy we talked about when talking about Orgeron last week. Um, I mean, does Joe Brady want to want to fall back? I mean, does does he want to be a head coach? Um, you know, and, and come back to college? I don't know. Th- those are guys that I think about. Um, by no means are, are any of them uh, speculative replacements. Should James Franklin, um, by the grace of God, leave Happy Valley? But that that's that's kind of what I think. I mean, do you have anyone in mind? 
I, I actually I, I like the names you threw out there. Can I throw out a couple a couple NFL names that I if I was a Penn State alum I'd be like I'd be chomping at the bit for. Um, you threw out Brady. I'm going to throw out Matt Rule. Um, you know I don't know what's going on in Carolina. I can tell you that as a head coach you don't last long without a quarterback, and I don't think Darnold's the guy. Um, their their owner David Tepper seems like a, a little bit of a loose cannon, kind of like a you know, investment banking type of guy, similar to the Mets owner. Seems like he'd be willing to kind of shake things up if things aren't going the right way. So, you know, can you lure him to Happy Valley and pay him a, a ton of money? Probably, right? Um, the other name I'll throw out there, an NFL name, you know, some people might say he's too old. Some people might say the game has passed him by. Some people might say that, you know, he wouldn't be able to connect with this generation. But I'm thinking, is there a way to kind of create a pipeline to Pennsylvania? from that Southern California region and, uh, and, and reconnect with all those high school coaches and all those high school programs. I mean, how much longer is Pete Carroll going to coach the Seahawks? I don't know. I was watching them last night. They were on uh, Monday night football. They look awful. I watched them the, the week before on Sunday night football against Pittsburgh. They won that game, but they looked fucking awful. Um, Russell Wilson's hurt, but his play has declined. Uh, that team seems to have have not a very bright future. I mean, I, I don't hate it. I mean, would you would you take an older, you know, an older kind of guy like Peak? I mean, the guy has done it all. He's won a Super Bowl. He's you know built one of the greatest dynasties at USC. Now, granted, that's what twenty years ago. Um, Pre social media, players is different, but like he still seems to have that kind of like energy on the sideline and. You know, I have no doubt that a guy like Pete Carroll could build out a really that was his strength at USC at a high quality staff. Orgeron was like his head of recruiting. You know, Kiffin was there. You know, would he be able to kind of, I don't know, identify these like up and comers and and, uh, you know, the right type of staff to kind of build around and then just like build an absolute mecca in terms of recruiting? I think I think it'd be easy for him to connect with with, you know, this this generation. I mean, you. You just turn on some Reggie Bush USC tape and get Reggie to call a couple <laughs> of these guys, and and they'll be they'll be ready to go. I mean, right? I mean, everybody loves Reggie. God, can you, I mean, that's what the thing is. Penn State is so like conservative for a school that's had you know the controversy that they've had with you know obviously the the legal stuff and the the, the child abuse and everything with like. Sandusky and and you know the allegations like Paterno not like you know turning a man or whatever like so like they're a super concerned like I, I just don't feel like they would be like they go after Franklin because he's like a like this guy like turn around Vanderbilt who stinks but like would they would they want to skirt with like a guy like uh you know with a guy like like Pete Carroll who like oversaw uh you know the time where Reggie Bush received like an impermissible benefit like, I just feel like Penn State, like, tries to come off as this, like, squeaky clean image when, in theory, they should just be running, like, an absolute criminal enterprise of, like, players who can just, like, flat out ball. Like, I don't I don't understand why they do this, this, like, act where it's, like, all about the academics. Like, it's, not, it's not Harvard. It's Penn State. Yeah, and I mean, can't you still have, like, the decent academics and actually try to win at football? Like, you're right. I mean... Yeah, James Franklin turned around Vanderbilt, but like, what the fuck is Vanderbilt? And what did he turn them around to? Like a nine-win team? Like he didn't turn them into 
BCS or college football playoff contenders. Like, yeah, they, they need to they need to go rogue. Um, but they won't. They wouldn't hire Orgeron. They wouldn't hire Pete Carroll. Um, they they wouldn't hire any anyone with with as much as as a fucking stamp of mud uh, on their record. So, I mean, you're you're completely right. Like I, I just you know I don't know why they just don't turn into like Miami of the '80s. Miami's a good school academically, right? They but their football team. I mean, they're they're there for one thing and one thing only. Back in the day, football. Penn State, it's like you know, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know why we're fooling anybody here. Nah, it's it's not the Ivy League. It's not a, it's not a a, a, a so-called center of of excellence of academia. Like you gotta you gotta pick one thing or the other. You gotta you gotta either try to really be great or you know be that be that uh that honorable like clean cut school, but just accept the fact that that you're going to be a middle of the road program. Yeah, I think like Notre Notre Dame probably does the best job of that. Like I'd say like like they they've obviously kind of lowered their academic standards a bit compared to kind of the I'd say 80s and you know maybe maybe 9. I know I know Holtz had a big big deal in kind of changing the way that they recruited and that's why they were able to win a national championship um you know getting guys in there in the program and you know, look. Obviously, football football uh, is a is a big uh, a big key to you know some of these kids uh, you know setting themselves up for life, getting an education. So, like, I just don't understand this like this snobbery with with certain institutions and how they how they view their their program, whether it be coaches who maybe kind of play in the gray areas a little bit more than others, um, or or just you know players players and the like. So, I don't know. I just think Penn State's in this weird scenario where they're good enough to be talked about, but not good enough to ever be in really like the legitimate conversation, like of winning anything. So it depends on what you want as an alumnus. Like, are you happy? Are you happy to go up there, you know, and, uh, and, and rent a fucking RV and, you know, or stay in the hotel and get popped for, you know, 300, 400, 500 bucks a night and watch the bullshit game against the Akron zips every September when it's fucking 80 degrees and everybody's happy that they put up 50. If that's your thing, you know, James Franklin's your coach. But if you want to, uh, you know, actually contend in, you know, this time of the calendar, November, December, you got to make a change. 100%. I mean, you said it all. You said it best. That's that's kind of the uh, the catch-22 for, for Penn State football right now. So, like I said, they go to Columbus Saturday night. To take on the Buckeyes, it'll be ugly. Uh, I'm sure James Franklin will have something to say after that game, and we'll have another one and zero tweet out by by Sunday night. Um, but I think I think that's all I got on on the Nits for for now. Great. You want to get into anything else on uh, while we're here, Bob? You know I want to get into something else. You want to you want to round it out with uh, with Baby Ben, huh? Yeah, let's and, talk about it. All right, so Ben Simmons uh, still isn't playing any games. Um, I guess you know what I've seen since since we talked last week. Uh, I was out driving last Thursday and heard uh, 
Sixers president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey, uh, was on the Mikey Miss show. Um, kind of the first time we've heard from from anybody like in management or, uh, you know, leadership with the Sixers uh, regarding this situation uh, outside of, of uh, Glenn Rivers. Um, but basically, it sounded like Maury was kind of playing hardball. Like, he basically said that they're willing to, to stick this out for four years and they're not going to trade Ben um, for anything less than an impact player. And they said that they're handling the situation the way they are. Um, because it's it's the only way they can uh, that will eventually lead them to improving the team. Uh, and, and this is by his words, not mine, whether it be Ben Simmons coming back and playing basketball this year for the Sixers uh, or by trading him uh, for an actual impact player because he said all the offers that they're getting right now um, are just for role players, and, and that's not going to make the Sixers better uh, in the short term and, and in this time of Joel Embiid's prime. Um, yeah, but now I guess Simmons is out with a back injury. He's out with, with mental health. Um, I didn't see the home opener Friday night. I think you did, but I believe Joel Embiid spoke at, at, at center court um, in front of the faithful before tip-off and said that Ben's our brother and we got to support him. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, – yeah, I mean, I think everybody knows how I feel about about the situation, uh, the mental health thing. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's it's okay in this day and age to to comment on that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to say anything there. But uh, I'll just send it no, over to you, Bob. No, hang on, hang on. It's not okay in this day and age to conflate being an asshole, a shitty employee, with having mental health issues. That's what I'll say. Yeah, no, that's fair. It, it just it just feels like like a cop out at this point. And I mean, clearly there's there's something going on uh, upstairs with this guy that isn't right. I mean, he doesn't take a, a, a free dunk when there's nobody covering him. Um, but it, it, it's a shame that it's come to this because there are people that truly do struggle with mental health. I mean, you look to the NHL and guys like Robin Leonard, uh, the goalie for the Knights, uh, Jonathan Drewin is back playing now for the Montreal Canadiens. He took the whole year off last year um, because of mental health issues. Like, I'm not here to say mental health isn't real. I, I know it's real. I know that, you know, stress and anxiety are real. And I think most people experience that in some way, shape, or form in, in life. Um, and obviously, uh, some people experience it to, to a much uh, more severe degree than others. Um, but in this situation, for for Ben to to pull that kind of stunt at this point is is kind of disgusting. Well, especially when you read that the that there's a provision in the collective bargaining agreement that you know I guess he's more he's more likely to be entitled to his money if it's a mental health type of reason versus an actual holdout. So like, if it was a mental health reason, then why didn't he say it was a mental health reason like months ago? You know, he only showed up when he started to realize that he wasn't going to get his paycheck. So, you know, I don't know if being, you know, realizing your $17.5 million house was going to go into foreclosure because you couldn't pay your mortgage and your taxes. I don't know if that is considered a mental health issue or just financial stupidity. But um, I guess if you can find it in, like, you know, one of the psychology manuals, DSM-5, 
you know, maybe there's some sort of financial type of, uh, uh, you know, uh, mental mental health disorder that, that he was able to stumble upon and, and seek a, a diagnosis for. You know, who knows? You know, we don't know what ben, Ben's going through. Um, all I can tell you is for and, and we'll talk a little bit more about like kind of the home opener and like what, what, what like what I thought of that. Like, oh, my God. So. And the story comes out about Simmons, um, you know, obviously not being mentally ready to play, which is supposedly some sort of mental thing. And then it comes out that they met, they had a team meeting between Rivers, the team, Simmons, where everybody, it was reported everybody took their part in the blame. Did you hear that? Everybody took their part in the blame. It was like, I, they, I didn't hear that. Yeah, so Baby Ben met with everybody, and he was probably like, well, I, I didn't shoot the ball, but you you turned it over. Was this, was this like last week, like as this is all transpiring? This was the day, the day of the, the day of the home opener. They all met, and everybody took their part in the blame. Everybody, including Ben. And Ben's now their brother again. He, we went from I don't care about that man to Ben's now our brother. We got to support him. OK, we got to support him. Hang on. The, the, the fucking blue collar guy who makes $50,000 a year who's paying how much to get in there and watch that shit. Watch a team at half strength because your number one max contract guy ain't there. He's got to support him. Cut me a fucking break. So that, and, so that so they had a little kumbaya session yeah, on oh, Friday before a, the home opener. They had a kumbaya. And they had a brain. They had. So I'm, I don't use this term lightly because I think a lot of people use it. A lot of people misuse it to just kind of um, just support whatever argument they're making. You know, the term gaslighting. We were gaslit as a as a fan base. The nation was gaslit that the night of this home opener. So ESPN, ESPN sticks a microphone in Joel Embiid's face before the game. And to think that the that the franchise would allow this guy to be interviewed interviewed before the game about something not about the game is a disgrace in and of itself. But they ask him about they ask him about Simmons, and Embiid does you know he says the right things. Oh, he's our brother, da da da. And we you know I shouldn't have, you know I take my part of them. You know the same bullshit, kumbaya bullshit. So then he gets the microphone at the, at at the center and says the same nonsense. And and they're running zoo out there, turning garbage into gold to ring the fucking bell before the game. They're running zoo. It's like these fans just eat it. So he gets up there and says, you know, we got to support our brother during this time. And uh, and then the broadcast starts and you got Mark Jackson, a guy who uh, literally like, I mean, you and I could have coached that Warriors team. This guy couldn't fucking coach in the plot as an idiot. Mark Jackson is sitting there like it's like he was being fed like uh like talking points by clutch and rich paul i mean this guy's talking about the fact that rivers sold out simmons and and b didn't support simmons and the fans the fans caused this meanwhile like the fans haven't seen this guy like this guy's been talking about the fans the fans haven't seen this guy since he turned down that dunk so like when when I mean was he accosted in the streets and booed loudly by like dozens of people that saw him in L.A. that happened to be wearing 76ers jerseys? I don't think so. So you know you use the term gaslighting. We were gaslit during that home opener, and and I tell you what, the ending of that couldn't have been more perfect. Couldn't have been more perfect. They they they're up the whole game and they choke it away, just like the just like the Atlanta series, choke it away, and the 
And again, the, these fans, it's in my DNA. They're all sitting down there at the center watching this slop, cheering on this garbage. I mean, honestly, it was a great night for me. I, I had them parlayed with, with uh, I believe, with the Braves at the time. And that paid out. It was a beautiful, beautiful day for, uh, for Bomb personally. But, you know, that type of thing is just not, it's just not right to, to turn on ESPN and hear about how you sitting at home, you, the Philadelphia fans sitting at home, or the reason why we are here where we are right now. That's fucking bullshit, dude. Funny you bring up uh, Rich Paul and like it sounded like Jackson was was being fed all this this shit from from Paul. Um, I was talking to a buddy out at the wedding and he's like a big NBA honk. And and he was saying he, he notified me. I didn't realize that Rich Paul was like kind of a nobody. And he's just a friend of LeBron James that now happens to be like the biggest agent in the NBA. So you know who's yeah. pulling the strings on all this shit. It's it's LeBron. No? LeBron Brown's looking after baby Brown. Yeah. I mean, just the amount of things that are going on behind the scenes um, in in the NBA and, and, and with this situation is, is just so bizarre. And how how they catered to Ben. This, this guy's a complete weirdo. And they call out the people that consume their product and you know, spend all their money and, and put all the cash in, in their pockets and write, write the checks. It's it's disgusting. I mean, they, they don't give a shit about the fans. Yeah, and, and and to the people who believe the ESPN narrative that was floated on, you know, the other night that, that, during that home opener, just remember one thing, right? Mark Jackson, all those guys are all connected with all the players, right? They're all connected with all the agents. So you know for a fact he turns to Rich Paul or ESPN turns to Rich Paul or Brian Windhorst, Windy, you know, Windy, Brian Windhorst, another guy who made a career off of, of another guy. Like they, they, they got these little like, uh, like guppies. I don't know. What's the right word? The, uh, what are the little, you know, things that, you know, stick to the sharks. Yeah. They're guppies, right? Or men expert. Are they, you know what I mean? They're like little, like, you know, like, I don't know what the hell they are. Little minnows that, like, you know, they like they suck up all the crap near the shark. Well, the shark's LeBron, and you got these other guys that are just hangers on, and they make an entire career out of it. So you got Windhorse probably turning to Mark Jackson, right? Because they're, they're both, you know, at ESPN, he's turning to Mark Jackson. I'm hearing from Clutch that this and that and this and that. So Windhorse feeds it to Jackson. Jackson feeds it to the entire United States. Knowing that the next time he needs information, he goes to Windhorse, and Windhorse gets it from Clutch, who gets it from Simo. They call him Simo. You know Simo? Oh, Simo is is Ben's alter ego on PlayStation. Simo. Yeah. No. Yeah. No word on how he's performing there mentally, but Simo he gets the information from Windhorse, who gets it from Clutch, who gets it from Paul, who gets it from Simo. And then it goes back to Mark Jackson. So that's how this works. So when you ever turn on a game on ESPN and they start talking about how you, the fans sitting at home, paying the regional sports package to Comcast, or you, the fans sitting in the stadium, paying 70 bucks to watch that bullshit with no defense, whenever they tell you that you're the problem, that's when you realize it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all just these guys who are interconnected, feed information back and, back and forth, and they just have to feed that bullshit out there. Because they know that the next time they need info, they'll be able to go get it. So wild. I've, I've never really thought about it that way, but that's that's good stuff from you, Bob. I mean, 
Sixers just lost again tonight to the Knicks. Um, you know, the other thing I took I took away from from the Maury interview with with Miss was how this isn't going to be a distraction to the team, and it, he was saying that it's actually uh, unifying the team, that it's 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 kind of a rallying point, and I don't know that he elaborated on on exactly how that is. Um, you know, we've talked about letting this situation bleed into the season, and now obviously Maury expressed that that he's willing to let it bleed on for the length of Simmons' contract, but. Sixers not off to the hottest start, two and two now, and you know no signs of of Ben coming back to to apparently uh, improve the team. I find that hard to believe uh, that he would actually improve this team, uh, and no word of of him being traded. So, I mean, I I don't have anything else there, and unless you do, no, I, I don't have anything else. I mean, this is just. To your point, I mean, this is going to be this is going to be the story of the season until this is resolved. I mean, everybody says you got to get rid of this guy, but the problem is you can't you can't give him away. Um, you can't give him away for nothing, right? Um, I mean, if everyone thinks he's the DPOI, right? I mean, there's some value there. Um, I don't know what the solution is, frankly. I, I mean, I've been saying for months, and the I said before this happened, send the guy to the G League. The guy's a bum. Um, he couldn't will his college team to the tourney. You know, at LSU, we talked about that. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how this, how this gets resolved. This is like only in Philly too. Like only in Philadelphia could this happen. Like, when's the last time this happened that like a non-superstar like held out? I couldn't tell you. Yeah, it's just it's just funny to think like how the hell do we do we draft these guys? I mean, you look at the Eagles and the misses on the in the first round with the wide receivers and, and Rager and Ortega Whiteside instead of Metcalf and Justin Jefferson and the Vikings laughing at us. Well we we spent two number one picks on on Markel Fultz, who developed uh some sort of shoulder situation that, that is completely unheard of and, and he forgot how to shoot and then and then we've we've got baby Ben. Um, like, so how does thing, this happen? What's interesting is you're, you're right. So the shoulder thing, like, what was that? Like thoracic outlet syndrome. But yeah. Initially, they framed it as like a mental issue. And now this guy's got a mental issue. Like, what's in the water down there? I mean, I know they practice over in Camden. Can someone check the water over there and just make sure there's no like contaminants? I know the Sixers. Don't the Sixers also have like an office over at the Navy Yard? Like what have we like done the, uh, you know, the proper EPA tests on like the workplace? I mean, I'm like really concerned for what's going on here. Yeah, they should have considered that before they built that brand new facility in Camden. But it's not like <laughs> it's not it's not like Philly's all that much nicer across the pond. That's that's right. That's right. At the center. At the center. Yeah, but. Nah, nothing else there for me. I'll move it along if that's cool with you. Um, move it along. Yeah. So Sixers two and two. We'll we'll see what transpires with 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 this whole kit and caboodle. Um, Flyers wrapped up their homestand Saturday night. Didn't get to see that game. Fell four to two to the Florida Panthers, who were five and zero. Uh, that's a good team opening homestand two one and one. I mean, they don't have Hayes. Uh, Ryan Ellis missed. Saturday night, he's day to day. It sounds like he's going to miss Wednesday's game against Edmonton. Um, so, so they got Edmonton Wednesday, Vancouver Thursday, and I believe Calgary on Saturday. 
uh, before they come back to Philly. So quick three and four nights out in Western Canada should should be a challenge. Should should learn a little bit about this team, but uh, it's concerning to me that that Ellis is kind of day to day and and Risto is is banged up. Like those guys both didn't practice the the last week of the preseason leading up to, to game one against Vancouver. And then wrist and didn't make his debut until game three. And now you got Ellis kind of back on the shelf. Uh, it's a little concerning, but I mean, the Flyers aren't playing all that bad. I mean, I've heard people that are all fired up about the Flyers. I've heard people say that, that there's things to not like about the Flyers, but I'm just kind of, kind of in the middle right now. Like I'm not too excited, but I'm not like hitting the panic button. Um, We'll just have to wait, 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 and see what plays out. I mean, did you have any any comments or observations thus far? Well, I think they're going to be good. I, I actually think they're going to be really good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I watched, I watched, uh, I think three out of the four games. They, they played four so far, right? I think I watched three out of the four. I only was able to watch the last period of the um, the Panthers game that they lost, but. Again, I mean, it's all going to come down to heart. Um, I think the defense looks better. I think, I mean, you mentioned the ability of Ellis to be able to get up, get a puck to the net. Um, that's shown itself early, right? He's, I guess, nicked up a bit. But um, I like Atkins. Atkinson's getting, you know, fi- the guy just fires pucks. The guy, that's all the guy does. Like, it's not like this Jake skate around, you know, Cinderella type of bullshit. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the makeup of the team, but. You know, the question is, do they have enough? Do they have enough depth? Yeah, it's certainly being tested early on with with guys being nicked up, and uh, obviously he's he's still being out. But I mean, you look at Atkinson; he scored scored a shorthanded goal Saturday. I mean, when's the last time we we've scored a shorthanded goal? I mean, usually the Flyers are are the ones surrendering the shorthanded goal. So that was nice to see, even though they lost the game. Um, and even even Martin Jones, the backup goalie, he he played a pretty solid game. Uh, last Wednesday against Boston, I think he had 38 saves. Like the Flyers were severely outshot, um, but they didn't. They weren't bleeding like grade A chances. Um, so I think that's totally fine. And then they they cashed in on the chances that they got against Boston, which is good to see because typically typical Flyers is, you know, the nights that they they pepper the other team, uh, they they give up one two on one. It's in the back of the net, and and they end up losing. So kind of reverse that course a little bit against Boston. Um, but yeah, like I said, Edmonton Wednesday night, uh, ten o'clock. So I mean, if if you're up late and you got nothing else to watch, and and you're thinking about taking a gander, like you're on the fence about watching the Flyers, I think Wednesday night would be the time to turn it on because Ed- Edmonton has the best player in the world in Connor McDavid. The guy's unbelievable, um, so fast, so much skill. Um, definitely the face of the league now. And we didn't get to see him last year with, you know, the way the, the divisions were aligned with COVID, um, play, playing all the kind of East Coast local teams. So uh, if, if you're on the fence, I think I think I think Wednesday night would be a, be a time to hop in and, and check it out because that guy's unbelievable. And Edmonton's five and zero, and they also have uh, that guy Leon Drysaitel. Dry I think he's a German. He's a friggin' beast too. Like both of these guys average like two points a game. They just absolutely light it up. So it will be a, be a big challenge for the Flyers, but should be a fun game to watch. Is this a year where the Flyers actually make a move at the deadline and bring in like a big name guy? 
I mean, it's kind of early to say, right? You got to be, you got to be in the race at, at, at the deadline. To, I mean, it feels like they're going to be in the race. Let's just assume they're in the race. Is yeah. This finally shoot the shot. I'm not sure because you have guys like Frost and Cam York on the Phantoms that are, that are are somewhat promising prospects that that could come up and play in the NHL and make an impact. So you could you could add to your team that way. Um, and then you think about the hard cap in the NHL and the Flyers are really up against it. So in order in order to to make an ad uh, an impactful ad at the deadline, they're gonna have to you know bring in someone that that makes some cash. And and the only way to do that is to to ship out some cash. So I'm not exactly exactly sure how how that transpires, but I mean, if they're in the race, I mean, he's, Fletcher was super aggressive this summer, um, has shown the willingness to to make moves as he sees fit. So, wouldn't surprise me if if they're making moves to the deadline, uh, if they're in this race. You mentioned um, face of the franchise with McD- or face of the league with McDavid. Do we have any idea what's going on with Eichel? No, nah, I don't have anything. It just sounds like the same same kind of BS. Um, you know, he's he's got neck issues and he's fighting with the Sabers about which surgery to get. Like they want him to do one thing and he wants to do the other. Um, yep. The th- the thing that's kind of a shame for him, and maybe it's not a shame for him. I I don't have that uh, in depth knowledge of the situation of like who's at fault. I mean, I think all parties in a situation like this have have, have to hold a little bit of accountability, but. Um, Eichel would probably probably be one of the top players on the U.S. Olympic team, and that's coming up in February. Like, if he could have gotten this surgery like months ago and, and been good to go for the Olympics, like it's looking like he's not even going to play, be be available for the Olympics, and that that's once every four years. These guys want to pull the sweater on for their country, and he probably won't be able to do that this year. Is he a guy that someone like the Flyers might be able to steal and say? You know, maybe not for for this year. Obviously, if he still hasn't undergone the surgery, but like, is he someone you might be able to flex on the medical side for? Like, because I, I the reason I ask is, right? Like, you you think about all these guys who like end up needing pretty serious surgery, like the Tiger Woods is the the Peyton Mannings. Like, these are all like healthy, like top, literally like top zero point one percent of like human like anatomy right these guys are like all like incredible athletes they probably all have you know aside from Carson Wentz an incredible ability to heal like is is Eichel the kind of guy where he's got this issue with the Sabres where they can't agree on it on the operation like you know if you're a Flyers fan or you're like with the Flyers like could you could you in theory like steal a guy like that either on a contract you know at less dollars fewer years whatever um or like just in what you'd have to give up to get a guy like that and then you know hope and pray that whatever operation you get you know is is sound i mean is that is that is that where where you take a chance on a guy like that or or you just think it's too it's too risky i think it's really risky at this point um especially with eichel's contract i think he signed like a pretty pretty mega deal like making 10 mil a year uh, for probably another seven, eight years at least. Um, I mean, it's something the Flyers could visit in the off season. I mean, you got Claude Giroux, his contract's up at the end of the year, and he makes about eight and a quarter. Um, so, you know, if they if they went the route of, of not re-signing him, that opens up a, a lot of money that, that you could use on a guy like Eichel. Um, 
but that that would be be a pretty pretty serious move um yeah. all to all together and i i don't think it's something that they could they could get done in the season here well the reason i ask in season is because i assume this grievance is going to be resolved right where they're going to have to go one way or the other yeah you would think so like like i said i i, I don't i don't know all the ins and outs but um i mean the guy's one of the premier players and, and faces the nhl and i mean it's it's honestly hurting the product to not have that guy playing hockey right now well i think he wants to get a discectomy but the sabers want to get a fusion yeah i'm not uh i'm not familiar you're 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 a little more familiar with with operations near near the neck area than 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 (laughs) me so i'll i'll leave that to you yeah well you know the the fusion uh you know they generally what they do is they put a little bit of a they go into the they go into the affected uh uh, discs, I guess you could say, right? And they'll put some columns and some screws in and basically fuse your, you know, your disc together. Whereas I think like what, what Eichel wants is a, uh, is a replacement. And, uh, I think the, the issue is they know that people have recovered and played post fusion, but not after a discectomy and not that, not that you can, but I just don't think it's been done, but, um, it's one of those things where if you get some hotshot surgeon down in New York or up in Boston, um, I mean, I have no doubt those guys could could throw a disc in and, and you could play. Like it's just it's just a matter of probably the Sabers saying, "Hey, you know what? Like, you know, we we know a fusion is going to last you seven years. You're you're under contract for." And I'm not saying they only last seven years. I think they're looking at it they're like, well, "You're under contract for seven years. We know this will work for the next seven years. Like, get the fucking surgery that we recommend." Yeah, that kind of makes more sense now. Like, it makes me think that I think part of it is like Eichel doesn't want to be there because Buffalo is kind of a dumpster dumpster fire. I think they're actually off to a decent start, but that team is is not good. They're not built to win right now. They're they're kind of in limbo and and don't have any pieces. So I think I think part of the equation there is that is that he doesn't want to be there. And there was a lot of rumors and speculation over the summer about about a trade um, for Eichel to go to go a number of places that that never materialized. Um, so it kind of just feels like a like a, a standoff right now, and not sure what's going to happen. Well, the last the last uh, you know ex saber that we brought on, not a bad uh, not a bad name, huh? Danny Briere, one of the best uh, best flyers in recent memory, honestly, Mister Playoffs. One of the finest members over at Lulu Country Club. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I don't. I don't have anything else on the flyers or or, or on the ice. Um, do you? Now nah, we'll we'll see how this West Coast one goes. Yeah, flyers at Oilers Wednesday night, ten o'clock, taking on the high flying five and zero Edmonton Oilers. So should be should be a tough game. Good to see Connor McDavid, Drysaddle flying around, buzzing. So should be a fun one. Um, I mean, I think that's that's all I got. Bob, you got anything else you want to bring 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 to the table tonight? No, I want to close on a statement. Um, I made a comment earlier about the fabric of this city. I made a comment earlier about the DNA associated with this fan base. Um, I don't regret a second of it. I want everyone to know that if you if you if you conflate your teams with the with the DNA that drives who you are as a human being, you're an asshole. Okay. These teams stink. 
They don't deserve our dollars. They don't deserve our time. And yes, of course, I'm going to watch because I'm an idiot like everybody else. But it's not in my DNA. Okay. All right. So that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. I mean, we, we watch, we watch our teams. We watch other teams. We, we watch it for the love of the game, but, um, yeah, you, you can't be over the top when, when your product and the stuff that you'd have to pay for to watch in person or to, to, to put a shirt on your back when it's bad, you, you, you got to pull the plug. You, you can't, you can't be pumping the money in there. And like I said earlier, for, Penn State for Eagles for for whoever I mean for for any any real change to take place people got to stop fucking showing up and getting on these airplanes to go to Vegas to watch Jalen Hurts run to his right and chuck it out of bounds and for the defense so to to lay down getting on an airplane and and like doing that whole thing is one thing we'll we'll close on this but I do want to talk about two two examples of fans who maybe who maybe identify too much with the DNA. And the and the fabric of their family. The first one I want to talk about it was on the back. I think of the Daily News. The uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? I didn't hear what you said. The back of the Daily News. No, I like, didn't see it. Um, so this guy had a had a a, a full arm tattoo of uh, Allen Iverson on his tricep, and then like a huge full tattoo of. Um, of Ben Simmons on like his deltoid and bicep area. Um, so you go from, you know, one franchise player to another, I guess, in his mind. And uh, yeah, the Inquirer did a whole story about this guy, you know, young guy, exactly as I described Gen Z, um, you know, hasn't won anything in life. Um, you know, probably never competed athletically in anything. But one of those guys that I think like just, became infatuated with the process, became infatuated with Sam Hankey, and he decided to add Ben Simmons to his Allen Iverson tattoo. And by the way, like, you know, shout out to the tattoo artist, the Ben Simmons work. The Ben Ben Simmons face looked like a character from Beavis and Butthead. It was so bad. Wasn't this guy, like, didn't the article say, like, how this guy was so ingrained in, like, draft picks and pick swaps and and, tr- and the trade machine on ESPN.com? Like, he, he like he became the second coming of Hinky. Yeah, he, like, converted. He was, like, I don't know if he was Catholic before, but he was, like, a Hinkyist. Like, he, like, fully converted to the religion of, like, Sam Hinky. And you're right, like, pick swaps. He was also, like, infatuated with the – this was another one that, that we heard a lot about in the in the processor era. The draft and stash. Remember the draft and stash. Draft and stash. Yeah, all all these all these gimmicks that have netted absolutely nothing. I mean, the 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 processors would have had you believe that we picked like sixteen Dirk Nowitzkis and they're all playing over in fucking Slovenia right now. Like, come me a fucking break, dude. So yeah, that so that was an example of a Gen Z, just a, a guy who. You know, listen, pal, you know, you want to get a tattoo, great, but like you don't need to have the DNA of the team on your on your arm. The other example, and I'll just we'll end on this. I think you sent it to me, the wedding intro. I think uh, I think somebody else sent us sent us that where where we're in we're in the same group chat, but yeah, it was a it was a wedding intro and uh I think the the, the bridal party had had customized I think it was Sixer jerseys and, and they had Highlighted the, it. Yeah, 
the Skyline Edition, and they had they had the Sixers PA guy calling the names out as they came out, and they were, and they were shooting a mini basketball on like a Tonka or uh, I, I don't know, tikes. The, yeah, the, on the little Tykes fucking three foot hoop, um, you know that my nephew shoots on, um, for for a fucking wedding intro, like I don't know what's wrong with these people. So they introduced the bridal party. The stunner of the whole thing was, you know, first of all, the thing that wasn't shocking was every single one of these guys, like, airballed. Like, they all sucked. Um, granted, it was, like, a three-foot net. But then, you know, Matt Court is introducing the, the uh, you know, the bride and groom. The bride had a jersey on over her dress. What are you doing? Like, imagine being the, fu- like, Eventually, one of these days, like when we're old and and uh, and decrepit, like if we ever have kids or like you know a daughter, like we'll have to pay for for like a wedding. So like imagine being the father who like just hates the Sixers. Like imagine just being us and we just hate the Sixers, and like your daughter marries this guy who's like a fucking Sixers hunk, draft and stash loser, and you're getting popped seventy, seventy five, eighty grand to pay for this fucking wedding. You know, where you don't even like the, the you know, the son-in-law. You know, he's a Sixers fan. And you pay all this money. You invite all these people. You pay for your daughter's dress. And she's wearing a fucking Sixers Skyline Edition jersey over it. I think I'd end it. That's well put. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And, and uh, thoughts and prayers out to, to that father and... Uh... The investment that he made on that that wedding and that 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 bridal party entrance because one of the saddest things i think i've seen in a long time just another team that, that, that hasn't won in, in 40 plus years so um i think we'll wrap it there I, I think we left it all on the field bomb thanks for jumping on always a pleasure um and everybody thank you for listening fade the shade fade the shade picks will be up this week uh back on track a little bit both of us here and there in the past week um we'll we'll dial up the board get those picks posted to the instagram uh this weekend follow us there uh like rate subscribe on your favorite podcast app and we will talk to you all next week have a great one take care